I want to read from Psalm 92. It's up there. It's going to stay up there for us to refer to the whole time. Psalm 92 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. So my message today is planted. It's about being planted and what that means. Because in America, we, I think, all know that church has been seen as a place that we go to, right? We say, I go to Border City Church or I go to Grace Christian Church. And yeah, we do physically come and assemble together, but really if we understand biblically what church is supposed to be, it's actually somewhere that we become planted into, not just a place that we go to, because this is not the church, right? This is a church building, but we are the church as people. So we get planted into something that's living and alive. It's not just something we go to or attend or visit. So we wanna look at some of those things. Um, Today we're going to look at scripture and see how some of these things, what God says about them. And I just want to ask, as we've already been saying this morning, let's really have open hearts to hear some of this freshly and maybe things that we've heard a lot before. Let's let's look at it with fresh eyes and let the Lord work in our hearts this morning, my heart included. Um, And then at the end, we're going to enjoy communion together um, to celebrate the one body that God has made us us all to be together in Jesus. Um, God has given us an amazing gift called the local church, and it's where we plant ourselves. It's where we plant our lives, and that actually becomes the context for the flourishing of our lives and for God's purposes in our lives to be worked out. Um, At the beginning of this Psalm 92, uh, or the first verse I've got there, verse 12, I just want to read that again. It says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So that word righteous, sometimes I feel like we kind of react when we see that word righteous in scripture because it kind of, we use that word righteous differently today. If you say someone's righteous, it kind of carries with it a connotation of being self-righteous, which we don't want to be, right? So sometimes we see that word righteous and we kind of react to it. But um, if you look at the biblical meaning of righteous in scripture, righteousness doesn't mean that. It means that we've become righteous not by anything we've done. But it's all about who God is and what he has done. That's the only thing that makes us righteous. So in biblical terms, it's good to be a righteous person because all that means is that you're accepting and receiving what Jesus has done. And you're basing any righteousness you have only on his righteousness. So righteousness is a good thing. And when we believe and put our trust in the righteousness of Jesus, we become planted into the family of God. That's where it starts. That's how we get planted, into the family of God. Then I also want to look at the trees that it mentions here in Psalm 92. Um, It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. So why does this psalm give us this imagery of these two trees specifically? And I think it's a beautiful imagery for us to visualize what the point is with these scriptures. Why does the writer of Psalms specifically mention the palm and the cedar, though? So one of the things about the date palm, which was the type of palm tree that is in that area of the world today where the psalm would have been written, something interesting about the date palm is that it has extremely deep roots that enable it to flourish in all kinds of conditions, even in the desert. So there's something specific there that we can see. Palm tree, date palms grow very tall, and they live very long lives. 
It's perhaps the most useful of all trees, not only producing dates, but also sugar, wine, honey, oil, resin, rope, thread tannin, and dye stuff. Its seeds are fed to cattle, and its leaves are used for roofs, fences, mats, and baskets. So it's a very useful tree, the palm tree. So that's what we're likened to. The cedar, because we're also called cedars, the cedars of Lebanon uh, were the most enduring living things that the ancient Hebrews knew of. They, were, they would grow to a height of 100 feet, or they do grow to a height of 100 feet. The cedar of Lebanon is also the tallest tree in that region. And during biblical times, Lebanon cedars were transported over 200 miles to construct the temple when it was built in Jerusalem. 1 Kings 6.18 says, all was cedar inside the temple. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. The temple of God was made entirely out of cedar wood. So the writer didn't just randomly choose the palm tree and the cedar wood here. He's very specifically trying to give us some messages here by mentioning these two different trees. Just like that cedar tree was used physically to build the physical temple in the Old Testament, we know today that we don't have a physical temple. We are that temple. And so he's saying your life is like a cedar and God wants to use your life as a cedar tree to build his temple in the earth. Isn't that a beautiful picture? There's more about those trees that I want to mention later. And then it talks about the house of God. It says those who are planted in the house of God. So what is the house of God? Well, this, the psalm is telling us that we are like these trees that are planted in the house of God. So we want to understand what that means. In a big picture sense, the house of God is the family of God, right? God himself is our home. When I'm alone, if I was left alone on a desert island, and it's just me, and if I had to spend the rest of my days there, I am planted in the house of God. I am part of the family of God. I have him, and he is my home, right? As followers and believers in Jesus, he himself are who we plant ourselves in first and foremost, right? Plant ourselves into him. And then number two, We are planted, what it means to be planted in the house of God means that we are planted into the global church, capital C, the universal church that exists. It's not only who exists on the earth today, but it's anyone who's ever lived and put their faith in Jesus. It's anyone who's alive anywhere in the world today and anyone who will still come after we're dead and gone and chooses to put their faith in Jesus. That is the universal church that we're planted into, the eternal church. 1 Corinthians 3.16, I want to read this from the Amplified. It says, do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be home in you collectively as a church and also individually. So collectively, worldwide, we are the house of God. There's something I think very important here to realize about our faith. And I think it's something that sadly a lot of people never fully realize or get to enjoy the benefits of. And that thing is this, that being part of planted in Jesus is also to be planted in his body here on the earth, which scripture teaches us is his church. And that we cannot separate our love for Jesus from our love for his church. Because we are also called the body of Christ as his church. And so if we literally are the body of Christ in the earth, we are Jesus to this earth. It is impossible for me to love Jesus and to not love his church. Jesus died for the church. Yes, he died for all of humanity, but think about it for a minute. He died to bring all of humanity into his family. 
The family of God is the church, so Jesus died for the church. We're also called the bride of Christ because of the love that Jesus has for his church, the passion that he has for his church. And I just want us to think about that for a minute. You know, so often we, we understand the passion that Jesus has for us individually, or we feel passion for Jesus. Or sometimes we're good at understanding the passion that he has for the lost, and we should. And we should understand that more and more. But Jesus is very passionate about his church, too. He really loves his church, and so should we. So should we. I believe God wants to restore that in our hearts, a sense of the beauty of his bride, the church, that we would love the church the way he loves his church. And then thirdly, the house of God that we're planted into, the scripture's talking about, is to be planted into the local family of God. Because yes, we're planted into the universal, but how is that practically actually worked out into our lives? It's practically worked out as we're planted locally into a local church where there is community and where we're a family. Like Paul was saying today, we don't mind the kids making a noise because we're a family. There's relationship with one another where we're actually accountable face-to-face with somebody and we make ourselves accountable to them also. It goes both ways. There's a giving and a receiving of all that we are where we're present with each other, actually in one another's lives, and we do life together with one another. The local church is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to get just a little bit theological here for a moment for the sake of clarity just in this teaching, um, because I feel like it's necessary to define what we mean when we're talking about the local church and what really is, what makes a local church a local church. So the Greek word, if you... If you look at the New Testament, the New Testament was actually written in Greek, and, or most of it, some of it was, and the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it means the called out assembly or congregation. So that word ekklesia was used in Greece before they ever used it in the Bible. It was actually used to describe the principal assembly of the democracy of Athens, It was the popular assembly that was open to any citizens of Greece as soon as they qualified for citizenship. When they would assemble the citizens in Athens together, they would call it the ecclesia. So it was an assembled group. So the word used for church really just means the ones that God has called to himself and he's assembled them together. That's what it means to be the church. We're called by God to himself and we assemble together. So you by yourself are a member of the body of Christ, but when we assemble together, that's church, okay? So to further define what local church is, in Acts chapter 2, we look at the birth of the church, okay? I want to read from Acts chapter 2, verse, starting with verse 41. It says, those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles, Now all who were believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So if you pull pieces from that passage of scripture for wanting to look 
um, at the historical record of what the early church actually looked like, the first church that was established, this is what that church looked like. They were made up of believers. They had a regular assembling together in homes and in the temple. They had the teaching of scripture in their gatherings. Fellowship was a part of what they did together. There was always worship and prayer happening. They shared meals with one another. There's something to that. They shared communion or the Lord's Supper with each other. And they shared with one another. They had all things in common so that no one among them had any need. That's what the church looks like. Church life and our activities of doing those things together and living together in relationship and fulfilling the mission to the world that God has given us, all of that takes place also under the guidance of of God-appointed leaders. And you see that as you study the early church as well, that Jesus left the apostles and the apostles appointed elders. Paul planted churches and everywhere that he went, he put elders in place to lead and guide and watch over those churches. So we see that that's also a trait of what local biblical church is, that it actually has leaders in place, not not self-appointed leaders, but leaders that other people have been able to say, other leaders have recognized this person is appointed and called of God to lead a local church. So that's an important trait too, that we take note of. Um, People that are in place, godly leaders, loving leaders that are in place to love and care for, to lay their lives down for the individual and members of the church, just like Jesus does for us and just like a shepherd would for his sheep. Okay, so that's an important trait to recognize about what makes a local church a local church. So that being said, and I'm almost done with this very theological part, but I think it's important that we, that we understand where we're speaking from. So if that, those things that I just mentioned, the list of, of what we see in the New Testament scripture of what was happening to make a local church a local church, then that means that, this, that these are the things that are not a local church that sometimes get called church. For example, gathering with your family in your home is not a local church. Yes, that is church, that is you being the church, but that is not a local church. Watching church on TV or podcasts or independent Bible studies and parachurch organizations and ministries, they're not local churches. They are part of the universal global church, capital C, and they have tremendous value, tremendous value in the church, capital C, the global church, as we work alongside each other and we partner together, but they can never replace the local church. And it's important that we know the difference and that we don't confuse that because every believer is called to live out our lives in the context of a local church. And it's important that we are planted in that sense because you have to be planted if you want to grow. And true biblical growth, true spiritual growth, in the way that Jesus designed for us when he birthed his church, won't happen apart from us being planted in local church. It's so important that we understand that. I think an interesting fact too is seen in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, when they're writing to the church, Paul's writing to the 1 Corinthians church, and he says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. So there were local churches there that were sending greetings to other actual physical local churches. They weren't just part of the global body of Christ without any form or shape. When God established his church, that's the substance. That's the substance that we are the body of Christ, but God puts it into a form 
to give it a practical use. And that practical use of daily life is the local church. Now I know that some have been wounded and hurt by the local church. And some of you may even have some barriers in your hearts to some of the things that I just said and some of the things that I just described because of abuses. And those are very legitimate, real things that we unfortunately have experienced in our lives. I am genuinely sorry, and I want to express remorse even, um, and pain and grief that that has been the case for far too many people, actually. Um, But yet that doesn't change the picture that is painted by a loving God and Jesus who gave his life for us when the church was established. It doesn't change the things that we read about in scripture that caused the church to flourish in the early days. It doesn't change the pattern of a shepherd. It doesn't change the pattern of a God who wants his church to flourish. It doesn't change the things God's design for us and what he can cause us to become again. And I know that Paul and I both really carry in our hearts a desire to see these things restored in a healthy way, in a way that brings life to people, in a way that is not abusive, in a way that uh, facilitates purpose in people's lives and releases God's plans into the earth. So I just want to ask, can we allow God to, to work on our hearts in these areas? Can we allow God to speak to us about what he's called us to be as a local church? I just want to speak for a moment about context. Um, when Tyron Daniel was here, Tyron leads, leads the team that Paul and I serve on with NCMI, and as a church, Border City Church partners with NCMI globally, just as a primary partnership. Um, And Tyron was here a few months ago, and he shared with us this concept of context. What context do we live our lives out in? And he said, first of all, we all live in the context of family, right? We live with our families. We do our day-to-day life with our families. Paul and I are responsible to do life with our boys and to love them and to work out this calling that God's called us to as individuals, first and foremost, in the context of family. And then God calls each family to live in the context of local church. Yes, again, we are part of the global church, but he calls us as families to live out our lives together in the context of local church. And, and we do our, we live in that, we live in local church, and we live out from local church. Does that make sense? We do life in local church together, but everything that God has given us to do and called us to, we do it out from that place of relationship. We do it out from that place of being planted. We do it out from that place of accountability with one another. And then the local church is in the context of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is in the context of the gospel. The gospel is in the context of the kingdom of God. And it's all in the context of our King, Jesus, that we were singing about this morning. Having lived overseas, as Paul referenced this morning, we lived in South Africa for eight years. It gave us the opportunity to gain some perspective looking at the USA from the outside. And as Americans, I believe that one of our greatest strengths is also one of our greatest weaknesses, and that is our independence. Independence has a strength to it and is great because we have confidence and we have courage. But independence can be a negative thing because it keeps us from living our lives in deep connection with one another. And as Christians and as followers of Jesus, we're called to give our lives away to each other and to actually not live for the benefit of ourselves. 
Um, one of the things about the cedar that's mentioned in Psalm 92 is that the cedars grow in clusters. I didn't know this. This was so interesting to research. They're not often found alone. The cedars intertwine their branches with each other as they grow. The limbs of one cedar might grow right into the foliage, foliage of the neighbor tree. They have an affinity for each other. They don't shrink away from each other, but they actually have a decided drawing together in the way that they grow together. Isn't that interesting? And that God said, I want you to be planted like cedars in my house. If I allow my life to grow into yours and be entwined with yours, then my decisions no longer only affect me and my family. The decisions that I make then affect you and vice versa. So I, be, I believe that as we understand local church more that we need to own community on another level. That it's not just what's best for me and my family, it's not just my preference, but it's actually about preferring one another. How will my decisions affect the whole? This decision that I need to make, it's not just what's best for me, but how is it going to affect those that I do community with and that I do life with? Romans 12, verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We belong to each other. That's the level of community that we want to see. And it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. It's something you've got to lay down your life for. It's something you've got to hurt over. It's something you've got to sweat over. It's something you've got to cry over. It's something you've got to be offended over and choose to forgive over like Courtney spoke about this yeah. morning. It's something that's going to cost you everything. Yeah. But that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. Yes. Where we belong to each other. Right. There are amazing benefits, relational and practical benefits to local church. There's a, there's a great sense of purpose that is awakened in every person when they're a part of something larger than themselves. That's just a fact. You attach anyone to something larger than themselves and it awakens a sense of purpose in them. It grows your capacity to be a part of something bigger than you because it's no longer just you. Now you're part of something bigger and it actually grows the inside of you. There's a partnership and a resource sharing that we enjoy together in local church and no one has to do life alone when you're a part of local church together. There's a stability and strength that comes from being planted in local church together. That where I'm weak, you're strong. And when I'm weak, you're strong. That stability and that shared strength. There's a healing connection that happens. I'm sure Aaron could tell us a lot about this, but studies show that loving community is one of the best contexts for healing to take place in anyone's life. I want to say that again. Studies show that loving community is one of the best contexts for healing to take place in someone's life. The Faradays could tell us about that too. In loving community, there is an equality experience that heals the human heart that has experienced abuse. When I'm a part of a community that has equality, where we share with one another and we exist for one another, then there's something that's set right in my heart where there was abuse before. We're healed as we share our stories with one another and as we share our journey with one another. In loving community, trust is rebuilt, which is a key part of coming to healing and wholeness. Healing happens in me as I share the responsibility for the community wholeness 
and as I share the responsibility to bring personal healing to others. And that's that healing and that rebuilding that we talk about from Isaiah 61 as part of our vision. That that's part of what we want to see in community, that hearts are healed, lives are healed, and then there's a rebuilding that happens as we take responsibility for that community rebuilding, even in our city, I'm healed through that process. You're healed through that process. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a coming together in that, that it's not just confess your sins to God and pray to God so you'll be healed. That's part of it, yes. But also it says confess to one another. In other words, open up your life to one another. Let people see who's, who's on the inside of you and pray for one another. That's part of the healing that needs to happen in our lives. It's how we stay whole as a community. And also one of the benefits of community is that it's one of the main ways that we reach out to the world around us. There was a wonderful lady in the church in Johannesburg that we got to know the last year that we lived there. And she was a neighbor to one of our best friends, and they just got to know each other over the years, and this particular lady that I'm talking about was an atheist. And as she got to know our friend, um, they they just shared life with each other. They'd have tea and they'd talk across the wall. Most of the homes in South Africa have walls around them. And then little by little, Taryn, the lady I'm speaking about, Taryn, she was so interested in our friend and in the way that she did life. And we had an event at, at our church called Family Day where the kids played sports and we ate together and we were on this big sports field together and Taryn and her kids came along and after that Family Day, Taryn said to our friend Anne, she said, there's something different about the families that I met today. There's something different about the marriages that I saw and the kids that I interacted with. There's something different about this community that you have. And she started coming around and coming around. And initially it was like, I want my kids to have the opportunity to hear about faith because they might choose faith. But then little by little, she was sitting closer and closer to the front and wanting to be more involved. And she gave her life to Jesus, like full on, totally ran toward a relationship with him. And then her husband started coming. And he was so funny because he would come for worship, and then he would leave, because that's all he could handle, was just the worship part. But we started including him, and even after we've left, we're hearing reports of how they've included him in community, and they're great friends with him. The guys are playing golf with him and doing stuff, and he's enjoying the benefits of community. And when we have community, when we have, how can we reach the world if we don't have anything? How can we export something we don't have? How can we give away community if we don't have it? So we as a church need to be committed to community with one another so that we have something to show to the world because the, the world is hungry for community. Would you agree? Yeah. That's what people are looking for. People are hungry to belong. And so we foster that community among ourselves and our heart is wide open, arms wide open for anyone to come and visit our community, look in on our community, gain from our community, however we can bless people. Ultimately, we'd love it if people want to join our community, but community is one of the ways that we actually touch the world around us. Again, I just want to say that God has given us this beautiful gift of the local church where we plant ourselves, and that becomes the context for the flourishing of his purpose in our lives. It's so important. I could give you so many examples, but just briefly, there was another couple in the church in Johannesburg, and he was part of one of the top 
uh, law firms in Santon. She was one of the top heart doctors in the nation. Um, they had started coming around to the church and being involved in some of our community activities because they had a friend, some couple, a couple in the church that they were friends with. And um, this, this couple was very, very intellectual and very, you know, just, they had a lot of barriers up around the idea of church or the idea of a loving God. And there were a couple couples within the church specifically that really just spent time building friendship with them. And anywhere that they, you know, wanted answers, they would try to point them in the right direction of the questions that they had. And then we didn't see this couple for a while. <clears throat> they, <clears throat> we kind of lost contact, <clears throat> excuse me, for about a year or two, except for their good friends in the church who had initially were the ones that had kind of reached out to them. And then unfortunately, this particular couple that I'm talking about, they hit some really hard times, <clears throat> and their marriage was about to end, actually. They were, they were beginning the process of talking about divorce. And they came and they spoke with some of the friends in the church that had initially been there for them. And they just began to spend a lot of time together because this couple was so desperate and willing to try to save their marriage. And so they sat down with some of our couple friends. Paul and I actually weren't very involved in the process at all, but they just committed to meet regularly. And a particular friend, couple friend of ours would just share scripture with them about marriage and about healing takes place and how to rebuild the trust and how to, how to, how to put the pieces back together. And little by little, healing began to happen in their hearts and in their marriage. And then they decided that they had come so far from the ruin that they were experiencing that they said, actually, we want to be baptized and we want to actually plant ourselves like never before in the church. And that's actually what I'm talking about, that it, it, it was a decision that they made then to say, you know what, we've been away, we haven't been apart, we, haven't, we, we probably weren't ever really planted in the first place, but we actually want to plant ourselves in this community. They were baptized, they planted themselves in the community, and within about six months or maybe a year, this guy who had almost been on the border of atheism was coming to Paul and now, from what I hear, is, is coming to the pastor that's there now saying, oh my gosh, I'm seeing so much in scripture that's changing my heart and changing my life. When can I preach? <laughs> so there's been a total ch transformation in this person and it happened through community. It happened through friendship. It happened through real relationship and not letting go of someone when they hit a hard time or when they disappear. It happened that way. Community is so important in, in the process of what God wants to do in people's lives. I can tell you other stories as well. Um, how I've seen over and over again, this, this couple now has had their first child and they, they're just flourishing, like the scripture says, that when you plant yourself, there's a flourishing that happens. If you want to grow, you need to plant yourself, right? It's just the way it works. Unfortunately, I've often seen examples of the opposite. I've seen people who were planted, who sometimes have removed themselves from that, and you do start to see a sense of lack of purpose sometimes. Sometimes people's purpose gets hijacked, and sometimes people even lose their faith. Um, and I've seen sometimes people who don't, even, don't lose their faith, sometimes their identity becomes just around, or, or their purpose becomes built around paying the bills, 
existing, providing for my family, you know, us four no more. Living in church community is a way to ensure that we're not ever moving into that place of just living for ourselves, but that it's always about one another, and it's about the whole. So this promise that we see here, there's a promise here in Psalm 92 that I want to draw our attention to. The promise is that if we plant ourselves, we will flourish. You've heard that expression, bloom where you're planted, right? If you want to find out what's in a seed, what do you do? Like if I find a seed and I don't actually know what kind of seed it is, I need to plant it to find out what kind of seed it is, right? So you might think that what is inside of you or what your life is made of or who you are, you might think it's nothing. You might think it's insignificant. You might think, you might have a lot of questions about who you really are. Did you know one of the best ways to discover who you really are is to plant yourself, to plant your life? And I want to suggest that this scripture is instructing us to plant our lives into the soil of God's house. We plant ourselves. Now think about what happens when you plant a seed. It goes into dirt, right? And it's dark, and it gets covered up, and it might even feel forgotten for a while. And sometimes that's what it feels like initially when we plant ourselves in local church. We put ourselves in the dirt of humanity, and sometimes we might feel covered up and forgotten. It might feel like we're in the dark, but you can't see the growth come from inside of your life unless you plant yourself so what does it mean? A, plant, a seed doesn't plant itself in the soil and then get up and walk around and then come back on Sunday and get back in the dirt again and then walk around and then get back. It's not going to grow, right? To grow, the seed has to plant itself in community. And that's, that's the kind of church we're talking about, folks. Not Sunday morning only. We're talking about community and life with each other, that we submerge ourselves. We get covered up. And a seed, scripture teaches that a seed dies even, but then life comes from it. So what that means actually is that the seed itself, burst open, no longer exists, but life comes from it on the inside. And local church provides that perfect environment for the seed of what is inside humans to grow up and to push through and to be beautiful. Local church is the perfect environment for us for God to plant our lives in. There's no greater ground to invest your life into. There's no greater ground for us to invest our lives into than to allow ourselves to be planted in God's house. That word flourish, when it says that we will flourish, or that the, the, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and then it says, at the end it says that they'll flourish in the courts of, of our God. That word flourish means to bud, to sprout, to shoot, to bloom, to blossom. The word flourish is also defined as to break through, to break forth and to bud. So for the, at, the, at the cost or the, the risk of sounding churchy, breakthrough happens through being planted. When that seed begins to grow and something begins to bud and that growth starts to burst forth, those areas of your life that have been stuck or they're not, they're not moving, breakthrough happens when you plant yourself. And now you may be saying, okay, I've been planted. I've been planted in the house of God. I'm just telling you, I've seen it in my life. When I make another decided decision to plant myself more, plant myself deeper, plant myself more intentionally with the relationships and with the intentionality of the way I'm living my life, there's new growth that comes. 
Because the principle is true. When you plant yourself, you grow. To see what's inside something, to see the life in something, it's got to be planted. It also talks about roots. The psalm talks about roots. And as I mentioned, the palm has very deep roots. The date palm has deep, a deep tap system. So if we plant ourselves into the house of God, if we plant ourselves into lo- local church, how do you actually do that? How do you root yourself and how do you receive from your roots? One of my favorite passages in scripture, you guys, some of you have heard me talk about it before, is Isaiah 54 that talks about growing our capacity. And it gives this beautiful analogy of a tent and that if we want to grow our lives bigger to help people, then we need to let our, the, the, the cords of our tent be lengthened and the, the stakes that, that, that those cords are, are driven into the ground, those stakes have got to become stronger to make this bigger tent, right? So that people can come find shelter under the covering of our lives, a growing capacity for others. So if we're going to take those tent pegs and make them go deeper and stronger, if we're going to plant ourselves, what are we planting ourselves into? We're planting ourselves into Jesus We're planting ourselves into the church. And just like we were talking a minute ago about the strength that's shared with one another, I need the stability of the local church. You need the stability and the strength that we support and provide for one another to have a bigger capacity and to facilitate the calling of God on my life and on your life. We provide that strength. We hold each other down. That when those winds come and try to blow our tents away, this huge tent that's grown big, because God's got plans for each of you. I'm thinking of Mickey right now. There's big dreams in his heart, and God's making his tent bigger. Yeah. Well, you know what? To have a big tent, you've got to let your stakes go deeper into something. Yeah. And I'm saying that that soil can be the house of God, the church of God, the relationships, the, the family, the community, that if we dig deep and we let our stakes go deep, then when those winds come on that thing that God has planned for Mickey, and maybe he hits a rough patch, he's planted in us as a community. And he's strong. And it supports the weight of the big tent that God's given him. I've seen it over and over again that when an individual plants his or her life in a community of people, their life begins to take root on another level. And things begin to happen that weren't happening before. They become stable. Their capacity grows. They become part of a stabilizing factor for the whole. Not only does your life become more stable, but you become part of that strength for somebody else when you plant yourself. Isn't that awesome? And even for generations to come. When we can be strong for this generation, there's a strength that comes for the next generation too. So how do you root yourself? How do your roots receive? I want to say this to you as a suggestion here in this local church. Listen, learn, and love. Listen, learn, and love. All of us, every single one of us. Yes, come with your past experience, come with the tools that you already have, but now, for this moment in this local church, listen, learn, and love. We all need each other in what is happening now, today. It's a new thing. Bring what you have from every past experience in your life, but bring it to become a part of what God is doing here and now. Be a part of this church plant. Listen, learn, and love. It's a decision of the heart to be planted in the house of God. One of the most compelling examples I have from this is just actually from our own lives. When we, were, when we moved to South Africa 10 years ago now, right? Something like that. Nine years ago. We knew that we were going there to 
possibly plant a church or be involved in leading church, we knew that that was sort of the picture that was in our hearts to be involved with. But the door that actually opened up for us initially was to work with a humanitarian organization that we had a great fondness for. And so we signed contracts to work with them for three years. And we also knew that during that period of time while we were working those jobs that it was important for us to be rooted in local church. That working for that humanitarian organization, even though it was a Christian organization, that, w- that really wasn't church for us. That was just the work that we were giving ourselves to in the ministry, the outflow of our lives in that moment. We knew we needed to be planted in local church. And so we visited churches around the city of Johannesburg where we had relationship because we really believe in relationship. And there were a lot of great churches, but there was this one particular church that we kept going back to. We'd visit and then we'd We kept coming back to this one particular church. And there was a lot that we really liked, but we just weren't sure if we fit in. We just quite weren't sure. We couldn't necessarily tick all the boxes. You know what I mean? And we had a conversation with our previous pastor in Georgia at the church where we'd been. We were talking to him on Skype one night. And we said, you know, we think we found the church where we want to be, but we're not 100% sure. And we just kind of described it to him. And he said, well, you know what? He said, at the end of the day, you just got to take a step of faith and plant yourself somewhere. Yeah. This sounds like it's a good place. This sounds like it, you know, is what God has for you. He said, I would encourage you just do it. So we were like, yeah. So we did it. And we, we went to the leaders of that church, the elders of the church, and we said, we're in. We're here. We're choosing to plant ourselves here. And I kid you not, that very Sunday, it was like we had been sitting, waiting for this play to start and attending with the curtains closed every week. And all of a sudden, it felt like the, the curtains drew back and we saw the play. And all of a sudden, we saw all the reasons why God had brought us to that church. We saw the connecting pieces. We saw that they had what we needed for that season in our lives. We saw and understood all of a sudden how what God was gonna lead us into three years later when we led a church was gonna come through them. But you know what, it didn't, we didn't see it until we made the decision to plant ourselves. And so often that's the way it is with God. He asks us to do something in faith. I thought of this last night, a good faith. Have you ever heard of good faith? To do something in good faith? It's a business term sometimes. It just means honesty or sincerity of intention. That a lot of times following God requires that we do things in good faith. Just honestly stepping out and saying, I think this is the right way to go. But with good intention and with honesty of heart. And then as we do that, all of a sudden we see the purposes that God had in mind that he wanted us to trust him with before we saw. So I think it's that way a lot of times with local church too. That we take that that step of faith. That's what Paul and I are doing right now. Oh my word. We've moved our family across the world with no guarantee of anything. You think we're stepping out with good faith. I mean, you think you're stepping out with good faith. We are too. We are saying we are all in. We are invested. We are investing every part of our lives with you to build something beautiful. And for so many more that we don't even know their faces yet. But God's saying, will you step out in that on good faith for what will come? And as your heart is completely in, not anymore, well, I think, I think this is the right, I think, but I'm not sure, but I think, but as you're all in, then that's when we start to see traction and momentum. And we start to see things tick. I'm telling you. I wanna draw attention to the end of this 
In Psalm 92, it talks about old age, and I just love this. As I begin to wrap this up, another possible reason that the writer of Psalms uses the imagery of the palm and the cedar specifically is that it says here, they still bear fruit in old age, they'll be fresh and flourishing. Both of these trees are evergreens. The palm and the cedar, they're both evergreens. That means that they're green in every season of their lives. The palm, its fruit is said to get sweeter as the tree gets older. The cedar continues to bear fruit for centuries, centuries after other trees have died. Some of the trees in Lebanon's forest have trees over a thousand years old that are still thriving. Isn't that amazing? So the promise here in Psalm 92 is that if you plant yourself in the house of God, that even when you're old, like physically old, you will still be bearing fruit. Your life will never be irrelevant. Your life will never be obsolete. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In keeping with our theme of trees today, I wanted to mention one other thing that Ty uh, Daniel brought up when he was here. Some of you will remember he shared something with us that he felt God had given us prophetically as a church for this season, and he shared from Isaiah 41. When God establishes a local church and assembles a group of people, it's because he wants to do something, right? It's for a reason. It's not just for the heck of it. God's got something that he actually wants to do. And the reason we're here, people, the reason God's assembled us is for the people that he wants us to reach. Would you agree? That's why we're here. That's the reason. And that's what this says, Isaiah 41, verse 17. It says, when the poor and needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. God will never abandon the city of Detroit. I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. This is the part I want to draw our attention to. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I'm doing this so all who see this miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who created it. And what Ty said when he read that is he said, I don't know a lot about trees. He said, but I know one thing, that these trees, the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive, he said, they don't belong in the desert and they don't belong together. Those trees don't belong in the desert and they don't belong together. And if you look around sometimes right now, especially in a small church plant, it can feel like we don't belong together. Like I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to hang out with you maybe, right? But God brings us together to do something beautiful. He brings us together and actually causes our lives to be entwined with one another. And it says, I'm doing this. God says, I'm doing this so that all around will see this miracle, this miracle and say that God has done it. I want to just bring our attention to that again and remind us of that and ask us to hold that dear to our hearts in this season of this church plant. Keep it in view that God has brought these different trees. He's planted us in his house together. Maybe we don't belong together, but he has done it. And he's going to cause us to flourish even in the desert. So we're going to receive communion now and we're going to celebrate what God has brought us to in his house. That we're going to celebrate that we're a body, that we are a local church together. We're going to celebrate that we are part of the body of Christ globally. 
that we are God's house. We're going to celebrate that we belong to Jesus as his body in the earth. And I just want to pray for a moment before Paul comes and leads us to take communion. Can we just open our hearts to the Lord right now about what we've looked at in the word today? Father, I just want to pray that wherever there's possibly any past hurts or disappointments in our lives that have caused us to put up barriers or to not fully engage our hearts with local church, maybe we've been all right with you, maybe we've been all right with the church as a, as a whole, but when it comes to local church, maybe we've had barriers or hurts or hindrances. Lord, I want to open up our hearts about that today as much as we can. As much as we're willing to look at it, wherever we're at, whatever we feel like we can open up to you about today. Lord, anything that's kept us from planting ourselves or our families in local church, Lord, we thank you that your word and your spirit together bring life, and that this isn't just like dead letters that we've looked at today, but that by your spirit, together with your spirit, what we've looked at today can bring life where there's been death in our hearts about your church. And Lord, as we in faith step out to plant ourselves where you have planted us, we thank you, God, that you bring a flourishing to this local church. You bring a flourishing to every life that is planted here. You bring a flourishing to every family that's planted here. You bring a flourishing to this local church that we would be an example and a miracle for the world around us to see so that they can flourish too, Lord. That you want to bring healing and wholeness and rebuilding through us, God. Lord, and as we, about, as we receive communion in a minute, as we eat the bread that reminds us of your body that was broken, we remember that we are your body, that you've called us to be your body in a very real sense, Lord. And we pray that that would be a new understanding and a fresh understanding in our hearts today. So I just want to, as we're receiving communion, I just want to remind us of an important passage of scripture where Paul gives instructions to the church in Corinth, again, as Minda's saying, local church. And um, I'm just going to read this to you. It says, this is Paul speaking to that church, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Ouch. <laughs> Your church services are doing more harm than good. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord. Then he moves on to what he essentially supernaturally received, a revelation from God about what this thing that we're doing right now is all about. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why when you are weak and ill, and some have di- this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I'll give directions when I come. But what's he saying there? He's saying the whole issue of this right here is the passion of Jesus on a cross that died for us that we might become one with him and one with one another. And that when we are not in that place of oneness, we're actually, in a sense, um, uh, we are, I don't have a good word for it, but we're not taking the body and blood of Christ in a worthy manner, as Paul says. In other words, we're missing the point that Jesus is supernaturally, in so much as our faith is in Christ, we become one with God, right? And in that, even though we still may be on a journey, we may may not be perfect, we become supernaturally one with one another. And what Minda has shared this morning, our oneness as a first and foremost reference point at any point in our lives, it's the local church community that he plants us in. And I want to ask, can we honor what Paul is saying there and take this in a worthy manner of recognizing the Lord's purpose for his church that we receive and accept one another if you're still on a journey you don't even know where you stand with jesus don't please don't feel condemned or whatever that's that's fine but if you've made that faith step and you've said i am the lord's i'm asking for us to also say in that i plant myself in a church and i give my heart to people flesh and blood not concepts humans with names in histories, and baggage, I give my heart. So can we do that right now? Lord, we thank you for your body. We receive it right now. Thank you for what you have done for us. Make us one as you are one. And Lord, you said in the same way, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of you. And we remember the fact that you have spilled your blood and that blood is atoned. It's paid the price for every single sin and made us before you worthy. And even as you have accepted us, Lord, we accept one another. We accept one another in our faults and in our flaws and imperfections. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of that, you somehow say, as we pull together in faith, that you build something glorious out of us. Thank you for your church, Lord. We thank you for your way. This isn't man's creation. This is your idea. Family is your idea. We give ourselves to one another in this moment, to the people in this room, and even, Lord, the people who are not in this room, outside of this room, that we would give our hearts to people. Help us to flourish as we plant ourselves in your church, in local church. Help us to flourish together in your purpose. Lord, our prayer is that as a result, people would see something of the kingdom of God in this city and be drawn to the light that you would shine through us as a community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.